This morning, our scripture passage will be from the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5. So let's give attention to God's word. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whatever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, 
Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, my name is Crawford Stevener. I'm the RUF campus minister at Stanford, and it is graduation Sunday at Stanford. So many students are over at graduation now, and many of you have maybe ceremonies later uh, this afternoon. It's also Father's Day, so there's much to celebrate today, but it's also another Sunday where we get to gather together and worship the risen King. So let me pray before we begin. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we listen to a passage read like the one just read by Unmi, we uh, don't know what to do with it. We're undone by it. It's so glorious, our eyes and our minds cannot imagine the, the majesty and the splendor of what we have just read. But God, we know that by your Spirit, your word makes uh, changes your people, and it does not return to you empty or void and accomplishes its purposes in us. So I pray that you'll do that with us this morning. Change us by your spirit, Lord Jesus, we pray. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the challenges of understanding the book of Revelation is how does the practical stuff, like we've been reading, for those of you who've joined us in our Revelation series the past several weeks as we've looked at letters to different churches, how does the practical stuff connect to the apocalyptic stuff or the beautiful images and crazy visions that come later in the book like we're beginning to get into this morning? If you were here last week, Pastor Iron discussed the letter to the church of Laodicea, where he talked about the the lukewarm Christian, those experiencing a dull faith, and that Jesus is standing, knocking on the door, uh, wanting to come into a community of faith and to enliven it. Well, the book of Revelation wastes no time with an antidote to our dull and unimaginative, lackluster faiths and flings the door open. In the, in the story we just read, the vision we just got, in chapter 4 and 5, we see this awesome vision of the throne of God. And we see the transcendent glory of God reorienting how those of us on earth should see who we are, our present struggles, our trials, our tribulations, in light of who God really is. And there, there are several things I want us to see this morning, all for a people who are struggling in this life, looking for hope above. And here are the three things. First is a powerful vision. The second is a weak savior. And the third is a beautiful song. 
You thought the letters to the church section ended after chapter 3, perhaps, but no. In fact, the whole book of Revelation is written for the comfort of a church amid trial and tribulation. A people seeking to be faithful in the perils of life on this side of heaven. For God's people who are struggling. Is that you this morning? Do you feel like God's presence is far away? Do you feel like Jesus' kingdom is being outshone by the powerful and glittery world around you? Do you ever wonder, is God real? Is he true? Does he really love me? Is he really working out all things good for those who love him? If you've said yes to any of these questions, you need this letter to this church in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And sometimes, as you know, a picture is better than a letter. And a song is better than a lecture. Now, I played around with Dolly's AI image generator uh, some this week to try to get a picture of Revelation 4 that would capture the awesome throne room of God, but the technology's not quite there yet, so some of you need to kind of work on that uh, and try to help us out here. Um, So we're going to stick with the ancient text that's been giving hope and comfort to us for two millennia and counting. This morning, we need to consider who's on the throne, who really reigns, Who has the whole earth in his hands? What is he like? And what comfort can we find amid the trials of our day? So first, let's start with a powerful vision for a struggling church. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation and receives this vision, has this incredible privilege. Wouldn't you have liked to see it from a heavenly vantage point? He sees the whole universe in proportioned aspect to the throne of God. And one of the hardest, most enriching things for you and I to do consistently is to actually think about the world from a different perspective than our own. This is one of the great benefits of of travel, study abroad programs, of, of mission trips. It's a great advantage and benefit of having a community or colleagues across different generations or different cultures and perspectives is that they can help us see the world from a different perspective. And let's be honest, when we're struggling, it's particularly difficult to get out of our own heads. Depression shrinks a person's world. Loneliness only drives us further and further into isolation. And even our deadline-driven lifestyle and culture forces us to think about the world in terms of our own task lists and our own list of things to do. But yet... Revelation 4 and 5 reveal there is a much grander and more beautiful reality than meets our day-to-day vantage point. In Revelation 4, the Apostle John sees this beautiful, transcendent God on the throne, sparkling with with beautiful, precious stones surrounding him in, in concentric circles with bedazzling rainbows and magnificent heavenly creatures uh, with representative thrones from the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 New Testament apostles signifying all of God's people all prostrate before him, throwing down their crowns, singing glory to the name of God. Why? Well, as we just sung, he is holy, holy, holy. Chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There is no truer picture of the order of the universe than we're seeing here in Revelation chapter 4. And it is powerful, and it is beautiful. 
The greatest certainty in this life is not that cultural agendas will wax and wane. It's not political machinations or geopolitical conflict. It's not marriages. It's not divorces. It's not new life or death or taxes. Although these things are true and they vex us, the truest truth is that God reigns on his heavenly throne and is directing everything that comes to pass. Now, of course, that begs all kinds of questions, doesn't it? If a God like this reigns over the throne of our world, why would he allow such great pain and such great suffering and such great tribulation? Now, the book of Revelation doesn't give the answer we hope for when we pose these questions. It doesn't give a defense of God's allowance of evil, but rather it's written to a people who are struggling who are keenly aware of the evil in this world, who are looking at it face to face. And the book points us to a better and more beautiful image and says, behold what is true. Amid your anguish and suffering, see what is real. God is on his throne. Now that's not to say that our pain is an illusion, not at all. The book of Revelation was written to a church under persecution. Who were, who were the people were giving their very lives in their faithfulness to Jesus. But if you wonder, it sure doesn't feel like God is on the throne. You're beginning to see the importance and the beauty of Revelation 4 and 5 to a church in duress. In the, in the image, we read a long scripture passage this morning, and it's because it's one large uh, picture that uh, is prolonged, and there's multiple steps that happen. It starts on the throne, but it takes a surprising turn in chapter 5. It's like a, it's like a director panning in to the throne room of God where, where the, the king is on the throne, and he's holding in his right hand, it says in chapter 5, a scroll. It zooms in on this scroll, and this whole, the scroll is held tightly in the hand of the one that's on the throne. And there's writing all over the inside and the outside showing that, that it's completely filled up. This is the representative of the eternal, wise plans of the God on the throne. It's not a rough draft. It's his final dissertation submitted. The scroll is not opened, though. There's seven seals Locking it closed that we'll get into next week. And in verse 2 of chapter 5, a mighty angel bellows out, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who can execute the good plans of God? Who can unlock the wonders of this heavenly world into the sorrows of our earthly one? In verse 3, no one in heaven or on under the earth, was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And John begins to weep. Why does he weep? He begins to cry because he's overwhelmed with this feeling. The world is not as it should be. It's like you can see the good plans of God for this world, but you just can't access them. They're, they're just out of your reach. And Revelation 5 depicts this cosmic scene where all of human history is hanging in the balance. Here is salvation. No one can get to it. No one can open the seals. And I love this. In in verse 5, it says an elder could substitute a, a wise Christian friend or an encourager 
You can imagine almost putting, putting his hand on John's shoulder and saying, Look, look, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David is conquered, so he can open the scroll. So we see Jesus here being referred to as a, as a conquering lion, the long-expected one from the tribe of Judah who could actually unlock and execute the good plans of God and the gospel. And because Jesus conquers, our tears and our weeping will be wiped away. But we have a hard time seeing that, don't we? Our vision, just like John's, is not directed upward, but is downcast and clouded with tears as we wonder, why is the world as it is? More personally, as we look at the stories of our own lives, we, we lament over our jobs, our relationship statuses. Maybe it's your singleness or your marriage. It's not what you hoped. Some of you have personally tasted the bitter taste of death or defeat this very week. And despairing, you feel crushed and you're thinking, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how I'm supposed to feel. And we scan around desperately looking for help, for new techniques, for summer plans, for a new job or a new relationship. But what we really need is a friend who can put his hand on our shoulder and say, look, look at Jesus. Look what he's doing. And what is he doing? There's a twist in the, in, the, in the passage in chapter 5. And this is our second point, the weak Savior. If you go back to your, to your handout, if you look in, in the text, chapter 5, verse 6, you can imagine John sort of drying his eyes as the, as the elder is pointing, look, look at the lion, the lion, the tribe of Judah, the lion is here. And you were scanning around the throne room looking for some sort of predatory beast with, with huge paws. And, and it's going to conquer with this awesome power who's going to rip open the seven seals. But what does John see? He lifts his head, verse 6, looking for a lion. But instead, he sees a lamb. Verse 6, in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And the lamb went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Instead of a lamb, John sees, instead of a lion, John sees a lamb. It's no ordinary lamb, though. It'd be very strange again to draw this out. A lamb with seven horns and uh, seven eyes and seven spirits. This is a symbolic imagery. The horns being a, a symbol of strength and power, like antlers on a, on a deer. Seven eyes being a, a picture of, of all-seeing wisdom and, and the seven spirits, the, the, the anointing of God's Holy Spirit on Christ, the sacrificial lamb who is worthy to open the scroll. And John sees the lamb standing not in health, but as one who has been slain, dripping with blood, slaughtered. What's going on here? What's going on? Why, why instead of a lion... Does John see a powerful lamb bearing the marks of a sacrifice? Well, the ancient secret of the gospel is on display in Revelation chapter 5. If you don't know anything about Christianity, Jesus, the Messiah, 
the coming one was, was prophesied as the Lion of Judah, the Son of David, yet David's Lord, strong as a lion, yet he actually conquers the world through sacrificial weakness. The only one who is worthy to open the scroll is not the lion who preys on the weak as victims, but the lamb who turned himself over to the hands of evil men as a victim. He gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross. And through this mysterious paradox, Revelation is whispering to us, things are not as they seem. Things may look bad out there. Things may seem bad in your life, but things are not as they seem. We come in on Sunday morning, and based on our experiences throughout the week, we might feel like Christ's kingdom is not extending, but shrinking. We go through this series at church on the book of Revelation saying Jesus wins, and we hear about this victory, and we're thinking, what are we talking about? What kind of victory is happening out there? Well, the book of Revelation would tell you, things are not as they seem. The cross of Christ looks like foolishness to those who are perishing, the scriptures say, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Remember, the original audience of the book of Revelation was a church under persecution of the sword of the Roman state. So, for those of us who struggle with doubt, assurance, wondering... Does God really love me? Will Christ really hold me fast? Wondering, is God real? And if he's real, is God winning? Is Jesus worth the trouble? Is Jesus worth the sacrifice? Consider the weak Savior. Look at this image in Revelation 5. At a lamb slain and be encouraged. Christ does reign. He's on the throne. He's victorious. It's just a surprising way that he reigns in his kingdom, that he conquers the world through sacrificial weakness. There are two different words in the New Testament Greek language that talk about a lamb, and the word here is used as a baby lamb. It's the great surprise of God's kingdom that Jesus reigns in strength like a little lamb, through sacrificial weakness, through the manger at Bethlehem and the cross at Golgotha, which leads to our third thing. We have a beautiful song to sing. Amid all the details of this symbolic interpretation, we can't miss that what is given to a church that is struggling is a beautiful song to sing. That is our testimony. That is our witness. You'll notice in this passage that the response to the lamb taking the scroll from the father's hands is a cosmic eruption of praise. In verses 8 through 14 of chapter 5, there are these cascading symphonies of new songs of worship that declare the supreme worthiness of Jesus. Let me read part of it for you again. Chapter 5, verse 8. Look at your text. And and when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. In worship and in prayer, they sang a, a new song, it says. A new song for a new redemption that was secured. Verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. 
Verses 11 and 12, thousands upon thousands of angels begin to sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Now, there, there are a number of Old Testament allusions with rich symbolism we could unpack in these songs. There's a call back to the book of Exodus where God calls his people a kingdom of priests that's repeated here. Uh, there's a fulfillment of a promise God made to Abraham in the book of Genesis that, that through him all the nations of the world would be blessed. But what I want us to see first and foremost is that there's an awesome, expansive chorus of praise about the supreme worthiness of Jesus. It starts with these living creatures with strange faces and wings and it moves out to the elders surrounding the throne and then it moves out to thousands upon thousands of angels and by verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea is singing the glory of Jesus. We are led in worship by the angelic creatures and by God's people who have gone before us who have also suffered, who have also gone through much trial and much tribulation, and yet they are singing. They are singing a new song about what Jesus did through surprising sacrificial weakness. The lamb was slain, and because of that, we sing. The lamb was slain, and because of that, he conquered The lamb was slain, and because of that, even though we suffer, we are more than conquerors. We reign with Christ. God, through the weakness of the cross, is putting together a kingdom of every tribe and language and people and nation, a group of people to sing a new song of praise to him. And you notice the song is not about ourselves. It's about Jesus the blood of the lamb, the power of the cross that makes sinners right with God. It's a song of salvation, of deliverance. It's a song that gives glory to Jesus and not ourselves. Are you singing this song? It's a song that says, I'm not the king. I'm not the one who can open the scroll. I'm not the one who's sitting on the throne of the universe I'm not the one governing the affairs of the world, but I know who is. And he is glorious. And he will wipe away my tears. And he has invited me to reign with him on his heavenly throne. Are you singing the song at work? Are you singing the song to your children, to your neighbors, as you sit in traffic? I want to remind you of our three points here to close from Revelation 4 and 5, to encourage us as we struggle in this life. And the first is that we have a powerful vision. Behold. See who God really is. From chapter 4, he's he's revealed himself to his people uh, in his word and through the community of his church that he is on the throne and he is reigning. Maybe you need somebody to put their hand on your shoulder to say, look at what God is doing in your life. Maybe you need to be that person, that encourager this morning that says your pain is real, but look at what God is up to. You have questions? Sure, so do I. But look who's on the throne. Behold. Second thing, the, the weak Savior. 
What does triumph have to do with weakness? It's Stanford's graduation Sunday. What does great accomplishment have to do with sacrifice and weakness and vulnerability? Well, it's a lot. these things mean a lot in the economy of Christ's kingdom. Because Jesus' triumphs, Jesus' kingship, is like no other king in history. Kings don't normally protect the weak. They rule like lions, not like lambs. Jesus actually uses his power to invite the weak to co-reign with him. And Revelation gives the church the comfort that even if you serve and worship Jesus to your literal death, you will be made a conqueror. Iron mentioned this uh, word last week in a sermon too. Uh, You know, the Bible uses a lot of different words to describe people that follow Jesus. Uh, The word disciple is used. Christians, even the words the elect. Paul calls the churches the saints, the saints in Ephesus. The book of Revelation calls Christians the ones who conquer. You are a conqueror if you know Jesus which sounds awesome, but many of us in the church have the wrong idea of what it means to conquer the world for Jesus. What does it mean for God's kingdom to expand? It's not through a crusade. It's not through military strength or some kind of scheduled big tent revival at 3 o'clock next Saturday. But the picture normally given in the Bible of God's kingdom coming is through slow, quiet, weak acts of sacrificial love. The victory of the lamb is conquering through weakness. You want to do great things for Christ? You want to be bold for Jesus? Are you willing to be weak? Are you willing to lose? As you go to your workspace or your lab or your home, ask yourself, what weakness can I embrace that points to the glory of Jesus for the sake of his kingdom. A third, a beautiful song. How does your life sing, worthy is the lamb? As this community gathers and remembers who God is and ponders the sacrificial love of Jesus and and seeks to live that out in Silicon Valley, these are the ingredients of Christ's kingdom coming. Not through great acts of strength or coordinated scheduled attacks, but through the glorious remembering and confessing that Jesus is worth it, that he reigns, that he is good. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us to sing this beautiful song. Help us to behold this beautiful reality. And give us the courage to embrace this beautiful victory that comes at a great cost. Sacrificial weakness. God, it is hard for us to be weak. We pray, Lord, that we may decrease and you may increase. We ask, Lord, that you will help us join the chorus of every creature on earth that will sing your glory on the last day. Help us to participate in that in a small way this morning. Meet us now, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.